0: I think it's one of the most important aspects of the elders' ministry to be able to engage people and to find out from them how they're doing in the Christian life, uh, how the church could better serve them, how they could better serve in the church, but to really encourage them in Christ, to point them to Christ, and to help them in their Christian walk.
1: Thank you for tuning in to episode 133 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. This is a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor. In today's episode, Dr. Alan Strange, professor of church history, continues his series on church offices, and today he's going to elaborate on the role of the elder in the church. What does it mean to be a ruling elder? or a teaching elder? What are his obligations and duties in this ordained office? Here's Dr. Strange to answer these questions.
0: Well, Jared and all of our wonderful listeners, it's always good to be back with you. And last time I was quoting specifically from the Presbyterian Form of Church government, that was concluded in 1645 as a part of the Westminster Assembly's work and noting that um, elders had been, you might say, recovered, that the church no longer is to be governed as it came to be, especially in the Middle Ages, uh, entirely by those of a clerical rank, whether presbyters who were priests in the parishes or bishops who were over the diocese, or archbishops, or metropolitans, or the pope himself. No, the church is now to be governed by ministers of the word and sacrament together with ruling elders, lay governors of the people, just as you had elders of the people in the Old Testament, I read you that, uh, together in a session or a consistory. Let me just say this additionally about one more aspect that, that I've written quite a bit about, and we could spend several sessions easily on, which is to say the the primacy of preaching in the place of the preacher. Part of the reason that it's important, I believe, to not see, as some of our churches may tend to, uh, that we, that there are simply two offices, elder and deacons, and there's just a functional difference within elders, between those who are ruling elders and those who are teaching elders or ministers. Um, and I should say at this point, um, you might say, well, didn't you just describe the PCA? Well, not quite. The PCA is said by people who casually look at it to be to office. But if you look in the church order, uh, a couple of telling things make it clear that it's not to office. One is that If it were to office, that is to say, if there were only elders and deacons, if someone were ordained as a ruling elder, if he then decided to become a teaching elder, he would not have to be reordained, but he is ordained now as a teaching elder. And the PCA additionally believes that only teaching elders are properly preaching. If a ruling elder wants to regularly Uh, exhort or preach. He has to get licensed. They have a provision for that. And secondly, those ruling elders do not minister the sacraments. Only one who is a teaching elder. So it's still a matter of degree for our good friends in the PCA. Um, We're not that different because the OPC, to take that as an example, also has a high view of the ruling elder. And I think and, and we ought to have a high view of the ruling elder. All Reformed churches should have a high view, a proper view of each of the offices. One does not denigrate the other. One receives its full respect. Uh, but just to say this, one of the reason that you want to understand and be clear on the fact that there is a particular office of minister of word and sacrament is because, again, back to the Reformation that recovered this proper biblical church government, Um, no small part of the whole Reformation was brought about by the preaching of the Word, and that is something that is especially committed to the one who is minister of Word and Sacrament. So if preaching is primary, the office of preacher is not something to be shunted aside. The office of preacher is very important, uh, and you could connect that with other things. The Lord's Day, upon which he preaches, is very important. So we, we, there's a kind of connection here. And as as a friend some years ago, I'll mention his name. Uh, he, he's a well-known person. But he said to me when I was talking to him about the question of two versus three office, um, he said, can you imagine that the highest office in the church has to do with Just by its very title and nature, with government? Wouldn't it have to do with worship? And that may have made you uncomfortable, what I just said, by saying the highest. But historically, there has been a recognition that there is a particular place for that preaching office, inasmuch as preaching is central in the life of the church and the sacraments are central. This gentleman's point was the highest thing, in a sense, that the church does is worship. Government is in support of worship. You might say the highest thing it doesn't do is government. The highest thing it does is worship. And there's an office that is especially looking after that, like Aaron and her upholding Moses' arms while he blesses the people. There's a sense in which there is a proper understanding of a of this kind of support for the office. Well, let's let's talk about uh, the office as well, of ruling elder. As we think about ruling elder, as I said, this office finds its origin in the Old Testament. The elder in the gate uh, was a layman. That is to say, he wasn't a Levite or a priest. That's what I mean by that. He was a recognized leader in Israel among the tribes, the clans, and the families who, together with the priestly class, formed a body especially fit for ecclesiastical judgment. And I noted how in the interim era, the apostles replaced the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, though the eldership continued, uh, and we see that at the Jerusalem Council. And then after the closing of the canon and the expiration of the apostolic era, the church entered the common era in which we now live and which will prevail into the coming of Christ, in which... The ministerium is the ordinary successor to the apostolate. We've said that the apostles didn't have any extraordinary successors. You could say that those who are ministers are their ordinary successors. They continue to join together with the eldership in the governance of the church. Um, And chapter 10 of the OPC form of government says that such officers, referring to ruling elders— chosen by the people from among their number are to join with the ministers in the government of the church and are properly called ruling elders. And that sentence highlights something very important, that ruling elders are chosen uh, by the people, the the laity, and they they represent, they serve as representatives of the people. They're often spoken of in that way uh, in in all of the Scottish sense, and the American sense, they're spoken of as representatives of the people, not in the sense that they poll the people and vote in accordance with majority wishes, but in the sense that when they they sit with the ministerium, the ruling elders don't become clergymen, but they remain lay leaders, providing that when the office bearers rule, they do so not only so so you have rulers over you, you have governors over you in a consistory, in a session, who are not only trained for ministry clerics, not only people of that class, but also living ordinary Christian lives in a variety of occupations, lay leaders. Uh, and that's important uh, because if all members of the session or the consistory are of the same class or order, it's not presumed in Presbyterianism that they're all laymen, and Hodge brings this out he says if everybody is of the same order presbyterianism doesn't take it in the direction of we regard everybody sitting on the session or sitting on the consistory as lay rather we regard them all as clerics of a sort they're all of the clerical class but ministers especially need we need in the in the classes in the synod as well as in the consistory, we need in the presbytery, in the general assembly, as well as in the session, laymen who remain in their professions, who remain in their jobs, and are governors joined together with the minister in this governance of the church, because otherwise it is going to just be a clerical Domination. You need the particular kind of wisdom, the particular kind of insight and understanding that they bring. They're living among the people and living lives more like the people with regular jobs and so forth in a way that the ministerium is not. The ministerium, by the very nature of its studying the Word of God, can be at something of a remove. Uh, Good elders keep a minister grounded, good elders help a minister understand the people better. Good elders can reflect to the minister, well, your sermon is helpful or your sermon is not helpful. Good elders can reflect a whole bunch of concerns, burdens, sort of lives of the people. They're sitting there in the room with you. So it's not just this clerical, clerically dominated kind of a thing, but rather, and they're bringing gifts. Perhaps they're an accountant and they have Financial or fiscal gifts that the minister doesn't have. I've been more than once at a presbytery, but especially a general assembly, where there's a discussion going on that has some aspect about it that really per- perhaps it's uh, 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 having to do with the pension and investments, <laughs> perhaps it's something else where we really need a lay point of view. Uh, and I have actually said, Mr. Moderator, I really appreciate uh, my good ministerial colleagues who have been um, raising points, um, but I think a lot of us are not really that competent in this area, and I think it would be good I solicit uh, greater wisdom here from the brothers who, who are not ministers, who know more about these kinds of things. And I um, I, I think it's, frankly, not a wise thing. What my practice as a, in the pastor I was in the pastor at full-time for a decade, and my, my practice was to give away everything I could to elders and deacons except what was specifically my calling, which was minister of word and sacrament and things that particularly surrounded that. I wasn't asking them to do that but I had elders who were competent to counsel who would join me in counseling. I had elders who were very competent in business, who I entrusted many administrative things to them. So I would, and I spent a lot of my time, and I thought it was important that I spend my time as a pastor training elders and deacons to do many things in the church, and then them bringing in others into this, really getting lay involvement. Because if, if, if the pastor just preaches and then doesn't also really train the office bearers, uh, there's no way he's going to get the whole church in 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 exercising their general office of believer properly engaged in the life of the church. How you want? people really engaged in the life of the church and in the life of Christ in the world. You want them living out the Christian life, and the minister can best do this by really training those office bearers who they then, in turn, train, uh, and together with the minister, train the laity more broadly. But there's there's such a vital place uh, for, for first-rate uh, ruling elders who can Join with the minister and help in this way. Um, Section 3 of chapter 10 of the former government OPC says, uh, Ruling elders individually and jointly with the pastor in the session are to lead the church in the service of Christ. They're to watch diligently over the people committed to their charge to prevent corruption of doctrine or morals, evils which they cannot correct by private admonition they should bring to the notice of the session. They should visit the people, especially the sick, instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourning, and nourish and guard the children of the covenant. They should pray with and for the people. They should have particular concern for the doctrine and conduct of the minister of the word and help him in his labors. And I think that section really beautifully uh, lays out the duties uh, of ruling elders some have said, you, you've, you hear this from time to time, that uh, ruling elders must only act collegially, corporately, uh, in the consistory or in the session, while ministers may act individually in the sec- exercise of the ministerial office. But that's not correct. Both ruling elders and ministers in the execution of their respective offices are to act individually and jointly. Ruling elders... "...are to be watchmen on behalf of the congregation of which they're a part, serving to prevent errors in teaching and ethics among the flock." So they're to look after the life, the doctrine, and the conduct, you might say, of the congregation as a whole. They're to encourage people. Uh, They're personally and privately to admonish people regarding sin." Uh, and to bring to the session to the body of elders and ministers or to the consistory those evils that are not amenable to their private corrections. So an elder, a good elder, will be um, encouraging people. How can I pray for you? Uh, How can we best minister to you? Um, What gifts um, might we employ of yours in this church, in the service of the church? How would you like to serve? We shouldn't be afraid, I don't think, to ask people, uh, this. I think we should be very open, and when we visit them, I think I think house visitation is an important part of this, and I, I think it's important that we're not going uh, on the one hand as the Spanish Inquisition, obviously, um, but on the other hand, we're not going for just once over lightly and not engaging people at the heart level. I, I think it's one of the most important aspects uh, of the elders' uh, ministry to be able to engage people and to find out from them how they're doing in the Christian life, uh, how the church could better serve them, how they could better serve in the church, but to really encourage them in Christ, to point them to Christ, uh, and to help them in their Christian walk.
1: So we have ministers of the word and sacrament, and we have elders. That leaves us with one other office, which can sometimes be overlooked. Next week we'll see what Doctor Strange means by that as he looks at the office of deacon and the ministry of mercy. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts, and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries. Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchabor, till next time.